Good morning. How are you? Good. Summer going well? Yes. You guys are chattier than the last two services. Okay, let's, uh, let's begin. Open your Bible, do Psalm 23, and we'll read together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Walter Brueggemann, he's a theologian who gets a lot of things wrong, but he does get one thing right. He says this at the beginning of his commentary on this passage. Even to comment on this psalm is almost pretentious. So in light of that, I'd like to invite the worship team up, and I'm going to pray out. I like brevity. I'm into it, right? But not, not that much. Why does this psalm endure? Why does it endure? It's thousands of years old. And not only is it the most famous passage in the Old Testament, maybe in the Bible, but perhaps one of the most famous poems of all time. And people in every culture and every language the Bible's been translated into, they have it memorized. It's read to children, and children memorize it. It's read at the side of hospital beds. It's read at funerals. It has inundated and pervaded our culture in such a profound way that people know it without knowing where it's from. It is a famous, enduring psalm. Why is that the case? And I think it's the case because of what happens in this psalm. David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And the word he uses for Lord is the personal name of God, Yahweh. He's saying the Lord, the Lord, the one who spoke creation into existence. The one who rose man out of dust. The one who called Abraham out of Ur. The one who tore a sea in half so that millions of people could walk across on dry ground. The Lord of the universe. The one who sustains quasars and black holes and galaxies and nebulas that span incomprehensible distances that are sizes that are so large in the vastness of space that my brain can't even comprehend it. The Lord that presides over the death of every cell in my body every hair that falls from my head, every breath, and every heartbeat. David is saying, that Lord, that Lord, the one you've heard of, the one that you know, the one that's so big, the entire universe came from his words, but is so intently interested in his creation that nothing happens without his knowledge and without his will. And then we get this unprecedented term in the psalm. Something happens that has not happened in any of the Psalms so far. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Now when you begin to study the Bible, you learn this general maxim, this general principle. When you do this in seminary, you can do it in an HCMI class. You learn about how to study the Bible, and you learn this about the sort of people who wrote the Bible and who read the Bible when it was being written and originally read. That is this. They never thought of me, they only thought of we, 
They only thought in corporate terms. They thought of people, a group, the people of God, the church. However, when we get to this song, David uses the personal singular term, my. David says, that Lord, the one who's the Lord of the vast outer reaches of the universe, the one who's the Lord of the minuscule components that make up your body, that Lord, he's my shepherd. Individually, my shepherd. And that's why this prayer translates so awesomely to us. It's individual. It becomes ours. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is each individual's shepherd, those who have believed in him. That's why this psalm, I think, has endured. Two things meet. The bigness of God and the smallness of our lives. And they meet in a profound and meaningful way. And throughout this entire psalm, there's two convictions that get poured into everything else. Every other assertion that David as the psalmist makes, they're bound up in these two convictions. The first is this, confidence in the shepherd's capabilities. And the second is contentment in the shepherd's care. Confidence in the shepherd's capabilities, contentment in the shepherd's care. And you'll see that the second follows from the first in the way that the second half of this first verse follows from the first half. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and then he says, I shall not want. I'm like, okay, so because the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. There's this therefore, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. And you're thinking, but there's like a lot of things that I want that I don't have. We make Christmas lists every year, right? I still do. My wife loves it. Tell her all the things I wanted to buy for me. A way to understand those words is not just, I shall not want. A good translation would be, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And what David means is this. All the things that his shepherd knows would be good for him, he has. David doesn't always know what's good for him. The shepherd does. So David writes about the Lord as a shepherd. And for us, we don't know a lot about shepherds. I don't know any shepherds personally. Any shepherds here? Just miniature shepherds? Because that's a very Hope Chapel joke. I know more engineers than I know shepherds. I know more electrical engineers than I know all forms of people who work with animals, like, at all. That's like the modern world we live in. But for David and for many people up until very recently, shepherds were a really, really important part of life. Everyone knew who the shepherd was. They knew where their grazing pastures were. They knew that there were sheep all over the place. And sheep offered various things that the communities needed. <coughs> so shepherds. We're a regular part of life. And what happens is David, King David, who was himself a shepherd before he was a king, now writes about his king as a shepherd. He uses a daily, regular metaphor to describe what the Lord is, who the Lord is. Some people call this a sheep's eye view of the shepherd. That's what Psalms 23 is. And this shepherd, he does at least five things on half of his sheep. The shepherd comforts, the shepherd restores, the shepherd protects, the shepherd provides, the shepherd shelters. So first, the shepherd comforts. You can turn back with me to verse 2 and we can read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. If you were a shepherd, which I'm willing to bet none of you are, 
I'm not a shepherd, but if I were, I would know this. I would know that sheep do not easily lay down. They don't do that. They get taken out to pasture, and there's all these things that have to be met, all these criteria. I read a lot about sheep this week, just so you know. I read a lot about sheep. We're going to talk about sheep a lot. I read a lot. There's all these criteria that have to be met in order for the sheep to lay down. Like first, there can't be any predators around. Sheep are always terrified. They're scared animals. They're very, very scared. Like there's alpha animals and then there's beta animals and sheep are the most beta animals of all time. Like um, at my gym, when I go in, I'm the sheep, right? I go in and all the guys are like working out. We do a class together. They're all working out really hard. And when we're done, they all like take their shirts off and they're just completely shredded. And I'm like, oh, I'm not hot, I'm good. I'll keep, my, I'll keep my shoe on. You guys, you guys look great though. Right? I'm a sheep in that gym. If I went to a gym that sheep worked out, I would be top dog. I'm a hundred, I'm like 85% sure I would be any, any sheep in a fight. Almost positive. I did a lot of reading on sheep this week. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Sheep are terrified, they're timid, they're afraid of predators. They have to know that there are no predators around or they won't lay down, there's no comfort. Sheep can't be bothered by flies and other bugs and gnats and insects. They have to make sure that those aren't around. The shepherd has to make sure that those aren't around for the sheep to lay down. Sheep have to be fed. They can't be hungry. They can't be hungry, they have to be fully fed. They're not like rabbits that just lay down and eat or like me that just lays down and eats. They stand and eat, and when they're full, they lay down. All these things have to be met in order for the sheep to find true and unadulterated comfort. Comfort is something that matters so much to us today. We're always looking for these green pastures that we can go to, this idea of a place or a future where we can feel like we have rest and comfort and maybe control. My daughter's four now, and we have this behavior chart that I've probably talked about before. It's a big, important part of our household. And on this behavior chart at the top is like a green area, and it's like well-behaved, kind of well-behaved, not very well-behaved. And then you have like a red section, like very badly behaved, slight discipline, severe discipline. Okay. And she has like this like little pointer that slides up and down throughout the day based upon how she's doing. You guys, if you know her, you can guess kind of like the zone she's in. <laughs> green. Come on. The good side. So anyways... If she's in the green zone, if she goes to bed in the green zone for two weeks straight, she gets to go to breakfast with me, which she really wants to do because she's very into me. She's a big fan of me. Aww. I didn't expect a laugh there. <laughs> so she's like, I was being serious. So anyways, she has to do it for two weeks. If she messes up, she doesn't get to go out to breakfast. And there's one night about a year ago, she's three years old. We're at a birthday dinner. She's losing her mind. She's not doing well. She's being the consummate three-year-old. So I grab her. I'm like, we're going back to the car. We get in the car. I buckle her in the seat. And I'm like, Cadence, if you don't start behaving, you're going to end the day in red. You're going to go to bed in the red. And she's like, right? <laughs> she's like wiping tears from her eyes. She's just moving her greasy hair out of her face because she was eating pasta. She's like, okay, Dad, when we get home, can I watch a show and have a snack? And I'm like, yeah, you can do that. She goes, oh, good. That'll calm me down. <laughs> Listen, she has this, uh, this future she's built in her mind. This future where she's like, if those were the conditions, I would have comfort. I would be okay. 
This is what we all do. For her, it's a show and a snack. But for others of us, we want our family to look a certain way, to be comprised of certain people, to have children that are obedient. For some of us, we want a career that looks a certain way, be doing a certain thing. We have this like future picture of ourselves, like if I were that person, that would be great. I would feel good. Alcohol, I think, is one of the best examples. Whenever you drink too much alcohol, all you're doing is borrowing happiness from tomorrow. <laughs> all you're doing. Yes. Like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Here's the thing. It's important for us to understand what it is that David is taking comfort in. There are things that the shepherd gives him, but that's not what David takes his comfort in. David takes his comfort in who his shepherd is. And we know the Lord of the universe, the one who created the entire universe is capable of all things. That's why David is able to be content with the comfort that he has because it's who his shepherd is, not what his shepherd gives him. That's where we are meant to take our comfort. We don't know what we need. We really don't know what we need. We don't know the future that God has planned for us. Instead, we take comfort in who our shepherd is. Second, the shepherd restores. The shepherd restores. We read this in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The word that David uses for restores here is this idea of turning over or turning around. And the word he uses for soul is the idea of the very self. David is saying he turns me around. He flips me over. And the image that, G, uh, that David probably has in his mind is that of a cast sheep. I read a lot about sheep this week. Cast sheep. And here's what happens. A sheep who's ready to lay down, he finds a depression in the dirt, and he kind of lays down, and then he begins to stretch his legs, and then his legs start like going up. You guys see what's about to happen? And as the legs go up, he's like, uh-oh. And he starts kicking a ton because he's stressed out, and then his legs just reach pointy right to the sky, and then it's game over. Sheep's on his back, center of gravity, super low. The, sh the sheep has like no way out. It's just stuck on its back. And what happens is, over time, circulation in the legs goes away, and gases begin to form in this part of the sheep called the rumen. I read a lot about sheep. You can look that up on Wikipedia, the rumen. Gases begin to form in the rumen. If it's a cold country, the sheep might last a few days. If it's hot, like it would have been in many of the places that David is grazing sheep, the sheep would last for a couple hours. So what does the shepherd do? The shepherd knows how many sheep he has. He knows his sheep by name. He counts his sheep. And then he goes and finds sheep that are as good as dead. He finds them in the dirt, completely helpless. He picks them up. He turns them over. He returns them to the flock. You know David is thinking of his own life. He's thinking of times where he was like, I was, I was as good as dead. And then my shepherd found me. You can't read this. You can't read this and not think of your own life. You can't do it. I read this and I'm like, there were times where I was on my back. I was basically a dead guy. I was done for and then my shepherd found me because we have the privilege of having the Lord of the universe care about our individual lives. That's awesome. That is awesome. And then, 
He returns these sheep, or as you've seen by now, us, to the flock so that he can lead them down the right path, so the path is of righteousness. And he does this for his name's sake. And it raises the question, so what is the reason that the shepherd restores the sheep? What do you think it is? Why? Why does the shepherd restore the sheep? It's good. What do you think? You guys were like super talkative earlier. You're saying hi. Now you're just... Want to take a guess? You're like, how about you just tell us? I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just tell you. People think it's because he loves the sheep, and there's a sense with that, in which that's true, right? Because like, he loves the sheep. That's actually wrong. I'm sorry. It's more foundational than the fact that he loves the sheep. He does love the sheep, but it's more important to understand that the reason that the shepherd cares for the sheep is because he has pledged himself to the sheep, covenantally. He has staked his name on it. Now, that might sound a little bit confusing, but I'll explain. Um, not every father is a good father, but good fathers love their children when their children are easy to love, when their children are very lovely, when their children yeah. are delightful. If you're a father, you know that's true. You know that's true. You know you love it when your kids do something that's great. I remember the first time that my daughter cleaned her room without me asking. I almost lost my mind. Like, I ran to the freezer, I found ice cream, and, and every dad is like, oh, rookie mistake. Rookie mistake, right? Because now I know her room is clean when she's by the freezer with a spoon. She's like, it's time. I did it. Listen, good fathers, good fathers love their children when their children are delightful. Great fathers love their children because they know it is connected to who they are and what they are called to. They know their name is staked on it. They know their reputation is staked on it. It is not built into how lovely or delightful their kids are. The shepherd cares for his sheep, restores his sheep, loves his sheep because he staked his name on it, because his reputation is staked on it. It is not based in the goodness or the loveliness of the sheep. That would be very uncertain. It is instead based on the goodness of the Lord himself, of the shepherd himself. And that, that is certain. The Lord, or in this case the shepherd, will always protect his own name. And because he's staked caring for us on that, he will always do that. Amen? Thirdly, the shepherd protects. We read this in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is perhaps the most famous line and the most famous poem in all of history. The valley of the shadow of death. It's helpful for us to understand how mountains and valleys work symbolically in the world that David is writing. A little bit different than today. Um, I was recently, not recently, a couple years ago at this place called Lauterbrunnen, which is kind of like the Yosemite of Europe. And we're in this area, my wife, my two kids, some other people. And um, we're in this very safe valley that's very low to the ground. Feels safe. But my family, who is all, they're all braver than I, they're like, let's go up to this, like, village on the top of these cliffs in this mountain because apparently there's enough lunatics that can get together and make a village on a cliff <laughs> so i'm like all right cool let's do that we're gonna get in a gondola this tiny death box that just hangs hangs from gondolas is like they did they put no thought into should we make these things look safe even if they are safe they don't look safe so we get in them right it's going up um there's never in the history of the world been a gondola accident 
there ever is one, it's gonna be when I'm in one, I'm sure, confident. We roll up on this little tiny wire, this giant box, this tiny wire, we get at to the top, we step out into this village, it's on like a mountain slash cliff, and I'm not joking you, there would be a house, and like a yard, and then like a fence marking a property line, and then like a sheer cliff. Like, you know, like a swing set, and cliff. Like, it's crazy, it's insane, it's insane. So I got both my kids, one strapped to the front and one strapped to the back. And I'm like 50 feet from the edge of this cliff. Right? Everywhere I look, I'm like certain death, certain death, certain death, certain death, certain death. I'm like back against the other side of the street. I'm afraid that I'm gonna do that thing where like I trip and then I stumble 50 feet to the edge and fall off. Don't die, don't die. Everywhere I look, imminent certain death. <coughs> Valleys are safe, mountains, death everywhere. Okay. Reverse those symbols for David. As he's writing this, people thought about valleys and mountains differently. Mountains were safe because you could see where everything was. If you go down in the valley, it's darker. Predators are all over the place. There's snakes. There's all kinds of things like that. If you were a people group, an army of chariots could just sweep through and get you in a valley. They couldn't do that in a mountain. What happens is the sheep and the shepherd descend into the valley of the shadow of death. And when they get there... Everywhere the sheep look, imminent death, imminent death, certain death, certain death. Predators lurking. Here's what's important for us to understand. We've just heard that he guides the sheep on paths of righteousness. This detour, this trip down into the valley, it's not a mistake. It's not like the shepherd was like, uh-oh, where are we? He's brought his rod and his staff, which bring the promise of protection and discipline to his sheep because... Discipline is a type of security. And here's what's so important in this section. The address, the address, it changes. In verses 1 through 3, David was talking about his shepherd. In verse 4, he talks to his shepherd. He says, I shall not fear for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As David writes this, he's certainly thinking on times in his life when he's in the valley and death seems imminent. And he remembers in those moments that his shepherd feels a lot closer. When you're in the green pasture, it is easy to forget the shepherd is there. When you're in the valley, you're forced to look him in the eyes. There are people here today, this morning, who are suffering. And you understand this more than I do. Your eyes have been directed towards your shepherd. And when you read this psalm, you're to be reminded with David and the thousands of people who have read it along with you over thousands of years, your shepherd is with you. Your shepherd is with you. The shepherd protects. Amen? Fourthly, the shepherd provides. We read this in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Throughout this passage, we've been reading a metaphor about sheep and that which they represent, the people of God. <clears throat> and sometimes it's very clear that David is talking about sheep, and sometimes it seems like he's definitely talking about people and not sheep. 
There's this planned ambiguity, this like planned vagueness as he writes this psalm, where the things he's saying can refer to either sheep or people. And some commentators think that when we get to verse 5, David just abandons the sheep metaphor. But I don't think that's true. David knew a lot about sheep. Also, I know a lot about sheep. I did a lot of reading this week. Like if you leave today and remember something, I know a lot about sheep. David is still talking about sheep. We hear about the table that's prepared. We hear about heads being anointed with oil. We hear about a cup overflowing. And we think, oh, okay, we know what that image is. That's a dinner party. And we might even know about a Middle Eastern dinner party at the time that David is writing, the lavishness of oil and wine, the fact that it might be used to put on people's heads for cracked skin. You understand that food wasn't as available then as it was today, so an abundant feast was something that was rare to come upon. And we think, yes, the Lord has provided a table for his people. But here's the thing. David is still talking about sheep here. The shepherd would have to go ahead into the pasture and prepare the table, prepare the place where the sheep would eat because sheep eat just whatever's in front of them. Whatever's in front of them. They'll eat poisonous things. So the shepherd has to go out and he's like, I gotta find all the poisonous weeds. For example, there was one called the white camel. It would kill a full grown sheep. It always would kill a lamb. And he's like, I gotta pull these things out because the sheep will literally just eat them and die. The shepherd had to prepare the table. Another thing we know, a lot of commentators will tell us, is the, um, the uh, oil would be used as a form of like bug repellent for the sheep. So he would use spices and oil and rub the sheep's head and unfortunately he would have to put it in the sheep's nostrils, which probably was not his favorite part of his job. And he would do this to keep sheep off, he would anoint the sheep in that way. We understand that the shepherd, whether he's talking about, whether David's talking about people or about sheep, provides for them abundantly and well. But I think the key to this passage, what's so important in this verse is this. He does this in the presence of their enemies, which means they're still in the valley. They're still in the valley. They haven't left. There's no indication in the psalm that the sheep and the shepherd have left the valley. Instead, they're still there. But they're reminded that their shepherd still provides for them, and the enemies who are present, all they can do is watch. Why? The shepherd's present. He's got his staff. He's got his rod. He's providing for his sheep. There's nothing the predators can do. There's nothing that the enemies can do. I think we get images of this in the New Testament. We read something like this when Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We learn this. The shepherd has provided for us a means to escape the permanence of death. In a sense, death comes and meets us all. But you know what? Death does not have the last word. It can only sit back as we're raised in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Fifthly, the shepherd shelters. The shepherd shelters. This is the final verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You remember throughout this entire psalm, two convictions have been poured into every assertion. 
David is confident in his shepherd's capabilities, and he is content in his shepherd's care. Both of these things are true. Both of these things are completely related. And we now move to a moment where David, who's been reflecting on his past and his present condition, looks to the future and his contentment and his confidence is so strong and sure because of who his shepherd is that he's certain that things will remain the same in the future. He believes the shepherd will stay with him and continue to do all these things on his behalf. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He looks forward and he talks about his home and his home with the Lord. And we're like, where is that home? What does that mean? Is it the temple? That's like the house of the Lord in the old. Is it the temple? Is it the tabernacle? Here's what most everyone agrees on. The home for the sheep, for people, for David, for us is not a location It's wherever the shepherd is. So we're in the green pastures, and the shepherd is there, and that's our home. We're in the dark valley, and the shepherd is there, and and that's our home. We're at the point of death, and the shepherd is there, and that's our home. We are raised. The shepherd is there, and that's our home. Here's one of the most beautiful things about the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Because he is certain, and he is our shepherd, and he is our home. Our home cannot be taken away from us. We hear something like this when Paul writes to the Romans. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's where I want to turn to the New Testament. Here's where I want to turn to the New Testament. And I want to read about something that David might not be surprised by, but could not have fully foreseen. He's already talked about how the Lord of the universe, the one who's in charge of everything, who's almost bigger than anything we could understand, who is bigger than anything we could understand, is his personal shepherd. And then we hear that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. The God-man. This guy who existed and walked around and did things. He was baptized by John, the Lord of the universe. He taught in Galilee, the Lord of the universe. He held a final dinner with his disciples, the Lord of the universe. And throughout his life, Jesus does all the things you might expect a shepherd to do. And he himself talks about being a shepherd. And he says this, he says this in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What lengths will the shepherd go to to care for the sheep that he is pledged to protect, that he's pledged to care for? David thought, oh, it's a lot. It's it's like a lot of things. The shepherd's willing to do a lot of things. Here's what David maybe not, maybe didn't fully understand, couldn't have known. It's this. Our shepherd, he descends into the valley of the shadow of death and he dies there so we can emerge unscathed. That's who the good shepherd is. That's who our shepherd is. Because we can pray this way to Jesus. This prayer that's persisted for thousands of years, spoken in thousands of languages, that almost everyone here has heard or maybe memorized. We can pray to Jesus because he is our good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And this is the promise to us. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our prayer this week. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we're thankful for passages in our Bible that tell us about human beings who've met you and experienced you, who've been shepherded by you, who've lived real lives like us, lives that are full of joy but at the same time messy and full of sadness. We thank you for the example and the testament of these men and women in the past who have taken comfort, who have taken solace in the fact that you are their shepherd. We thank you that you are also our shepherd. We thank you that you provided the good shepherd. Pray for those here who are suffering, who are in the valley, that they would know that you are close and that you are with them. Pray for those in the pasture, that they don't forget that. We thank you for everything that you've given us, all the blessings that you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion now.